0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, before we get started today, uh, we're going to dive into the primary care Pod at gmail.com primary care Pod at gmail.com inbox. Uh, today, we don't have any questions, but instead, I have something very, very excited to tell you. Very exciting. Very exciting news. I uh, um, worldwide. Uh, we, are, we are breaking a record today. We're doing something today that has never been done in the history of mankind. I hope everyone is as excited about this at home as I am. Uh, today, um, we have done something here at the Primary Care Podcast that has never been done before. We are the first podcast for primary care physicians by a primary care physician who has made their own internet meme you heard it here first everyone that's it's a record we're making our own meme if you look in your comment section below wherever you download this on apple if you scroll down to the comment section if you if you scroll down to the bottom underneath the play button uh, you will see a link to the meme that made the record we made we made this it's it's us it's us it's it's a victory celebration today uh, uh you know i even i contacted the uh Guinness Book of World Records to see if they were interested, and they said, "WTF are you talking about?" and blocked me. So, uh, you know, that was something that was unexpected. That I thought they'd be more interested in in the first ever meme produced by a primary care pod, uh, primary care podcast made by a primary care physician for primary care providers. So, I'm a little bit hurt by their lack of interest in the in the in the meme, but. Uh, Anyways, enjoy it. Uh, if you have any real questions or concerns, please send them to me at uh, primarycarepod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll take any tips, uh, any a- interesting uh, articles that you want me to uh, investigate, any topics you want me to review, uh, and uh, we'll go from here. So thanks for listening. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistant assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Savings of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today we got a very special episode. I'm very excited about the episode. Uh, today we are talking, uh, we're gonna do a deep dive on the not Relative, I mean relatively new but not not new uh, medication class called the sglt 2s um, now first first point of order uh, I am not an endocrinologist and not an expert on sGLT2s but I think they are a very interesting drug class I think they're a very good drug class I think if it wasn't for the cost I think they'd be a, a wonderful drug class um, We're going to talk about a lot of these things uh, it's important to note that since the research is pretty limited there have been, uh, very few numbers of research studies using SGLT2s. We're going to talk about those. It's also important to know that they are all, uh, at least all the ones I'm reviewing today, uh, funded by industry. Um, these are all drug company-related trials. Um, and the uh, journal article, in fact, it's its own supplement to the American Journal of Medicine. The Green Journal, is, as it's better well-known. It's a great journal. I love, I love the American Journal of Medicine. It's one of my favorites. Um, I think they have some really good articles. But in October of 2019, uh, volume 132, number 10s. I don't know what that means. Uh, but we're talking about the—it's an entire supplement dedicated to SGLT2s. Uh, we're gonna—we're gonna highlight a lot of the—the the key features about SGLT2s and why they are good. Um, so why does—why do SGLT2s—in why do sglt 2s and why do sglt 2 inhibitors uh, reduce blood glucose? Well, they do it by increasing urinary glucose excretion. Um, I think uh, the important thing before we get into this, this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say about SGLT2 inhibitors. What does the L stand for? Sodium glucose transporter 2 inhibitors. I mean, I'm, I'm offended. I'm offended that they added that L. The L is the L in glucose, that's, it, that, that's on acronym. I mean, I guess you don't want SGT2 because it sounds funny. So you're adding the L in there, SGLT2, so it flows. But it, I mean, so I also propose that in, in uh, I also propose to you that in boycott of the added L, I propose that you call them SGT2s, Sagutes, not seglutes, segludus, segludu inhibitors. SGLT2s, Uh, so anyways, uh, sidetrack there. Um, So SGLT2s are expressed in the proximal tubule of the kidney, uh, mediates reabsorption of approximately 90% of filtered glucose load. Uh, So glucose obviously gets uh, filtered and then um, it gets reabsorbed. So the SGLT2 inhibitors promote that renal excretion uh, and get it out of the system. So basically you just pee off a ton of extra glucose instead of reabsorbing it. What do you need to know about the SGLTO2? Well, the glucose lowering effect is independent of insulin. So I think that's the big takeaway is that beta cell function and insulin sensitivity are completely unaffected by this mechanism. Uh, you usually do not and, and really, really don't in the studies cause hypoglycemia in the absence of other medicines that cause hypoglycemia because all you're doing is getting rid of the reabsorption of normal glucose from the urine, from the bloodstream. Uh, not from the urine, from the bloodstream and passing out in the urine. So you're not necessarily shunting or sending glucose suddenly out of the bloodstream into the cells or, or getting rid of it in other ways. You're keeping the plasma level of glucose pretty constant as you slowly filter it out more and, and pee it out more. SDLT 2s inhibitors have a lot of other really good effects. Um, not only do they lower blood glucose, really that's probably the weakest part. They only lower the A1C by about 0. 0.7 to 1.2 percent, but they they modestly decrease blood pressure, roughly in the studies somewhere between five to ten millimeters mercury systolic blood pressure and diastolic. Uh, they also decrease, on average, based on all the studies combined, about five to six pounds of weight. Four point five, if you want to be technical, four point five to six pounds of weight, and that's sustained over time. That's not something that balloons down and comes back up again. That is sustained weight loss while on the medication. Uh, some trials even had that higher nu- that number higher, uh, but that's pretty much the average of all the studies. This is really good for patients when we're when we're selecting it for diabetics who also have heart failure. we get to that more. This is really good for patients with diabetes who also have atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease. It's good for those with nephropathy or in patients that you really want to protect against nephropathy, especially if they can't take an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. Uh, it's a good second agent if control isn't good enough with metformin, because obviously metformin is the gold standard. Uh, it's really good if hypoglycemia is a problem for, especially with your elders or people who are very symptomatic, especially on sulfonylureas or insulin, that get very hypoglycemic as it should not exacerbate or trigger any hypoglycemic effects, uh, Again, it's also good if insulin therapy needs to be avoided for weight gain purposes. For people who you're trying to lose weight on, it does help with weight loss. But what are the costs? Well, obviously the big one is the cost. The cons. Did I say the cost? What are the cons? The cons are the cost. The costs are the cons. Uh, That's the big thing is that these drugs are so ridiculously expensive that if your insurance does not pay for them, you're pretty much screwed in their use. Um, We also have a very absence of long-term safety data on the effects of prolonged glucose urea. What does it mean to have just funneling out this non-physiological amount of glucose in the urine? What's the long-term effect? Now, we'll talk because while that may be a concern, so far, every study that's been done has actually shown that they are renal protective. Uh, Who don't you use this on? Uh, Well, don't use SGLT2 inhibitors on patients who already have existing CKD stage 3B, 4, and 5. So a GFR less than 45, it's really not recommended and definitely contraindicated with with a GFR less than 30 probably don't use with diabetics who have had DKA. Now, again, this is not for uh, type 1 diabetics, but for if, if your patients have had DKA, as there have been some case reports of diabetic ketoacidosis with normal glucoses, and we'll get into more of that in a little bit. Uh, Patients with chronic foot ulcers, as there have been some reports of increased rates of amputation, we'll get into more of that, Uh, and very high frequency of UTIs and genital urinary yeast infections. Um, So patients who already have issues with UTIs, this is only going to make those a lot worse. Um, Question mark, osteoporosis, high risk for for fractures. Uh, Again, we'll talk about that in details. Um, We talked about how they are cardio, they are renal protective but you have to be really careful with NSAIDs and ARBs and also diuretics because you are forcing an osmotic diuresis with this. You're getting glucose out. You're sending also sodium out of the urine. You're having a lot more diuresis. And so if you have this diuresis plus a diuretic, plus an NSAID, plus an ARB, you really increase your risk for acute renal failure, acute kidney injury. Now, obviously these are going to be diabetics. They're already going to be on ARBs, but just watch them uh, getting too hypovolemic. All right. Uh, so uh, now with patients with a myocardial infarction history or, or a stroke history, uh, the data in terms of which one you use, and when we're talking about the three big ones, the empaglifosin, the dapaglifosin, and the canaglifosin, uh, the empa has the best track record and the best data for cardiovascular disease. Um, it has the most data to support it uh, compared to the others. But there seems to be a class effect that it should help with, uh, the class effect should help with any diabetics reduce their risk for hospitalizations for heart failure. Uh, It should definitely reduce their uh, incidence of uh, complications with coronary coronary vascular disease. Now, really though, in patients without coronary vascular disease, we talked about how that, you know, you'd want to start with MPa because it has the best data. But honestly, even with coronary vascular disease, but especially without coronary vascular disease, the choice of which one you start, DAPA, MPa, or CANA glyphosin, are really dictated by cost and insurance formulary preference. Uh, animal medical clinic, uh, my, my medical clinic has their own health plan, animal health plans, and they prefer uh, dapagliflozin. And in fact, it's $35 copay. Now, that's crazy because the costs are like $600 cash, $750 if you have a, uh, a, a GoodRx coupon card per month. So, I mean, we're talking bananas cost, as we all know. But uh, insurances are oftentimes now, uh, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but there are some insurance companies who are paying for one of the three. And uh, in this case, with the uh, uh, with the local health plan, uh, it's it's I'm 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 using it a lot more on patients, the uh, and the Farsega. Um So I, I think that's that's really made a big practice change in different the decreased cost. All right, now what do we do when we think we're gonna start? We're, we we've identified the patient. We think that this is gonna be a good drug for them. Well, what are we going to do with it? Uh, before we start, we check a CMP. Liver function should always be assessed before initiating, especially if Canon and just because dose adjustments for people with severe liver issues. Now, you know your patient doesn't have severe liver issues, even mild AST, AST, AST ALT changes. Uh, you probably don't need to get a CMP. And you definitely don't need to check those uh, yearly or anything, but you do probably need to check serum creatinine to make sure that you do not have a GFR that goes. Below forty-five, or definitely below thirty, below forty-five, big question mark. You know, consider consider discontinuing it to, to not get a uh, risk for acute kidney injury. Um, but uh, between forty and and forty-five and above, you're probably fine. Uh, they talk about this. The studies talk about maybe checking it every three months initially, uh, but otherwise yearly is probably fine once they're they're stable on the medication. Uh, A1C reduction, it's 0.4 to 1.1, um, so again, not, not tremendous. Uh, I think I said 0.7 to 1.2, that's uh, for MPLA, the, the MPLA the other ones combine a 0.4 to 1.1, so not, not a dramatic decrease in A1Cs, um, but compared to sulfonylureas, same A1C reduction and 5 to 8 pound weight loss compared to gain. Um, in compared to citagliptin, Januvia, uh, there's better A1C reduction. Um, Januvia is not necessarily as strong and better weight loss, uh, and it lowers blood pressure, uh, versus, uh, citag- uh, and some of the other gliptins do, are associated with, uh, uh, increased rates for heart failure. Um, obviously that's more of a, uh, piaglitazone and some of those other classes, uh, more so than the gliptins, but even so there has been some of the gliptins have been associated with heart failure, um it dramatically reduces the risk for complications with heart failure, re- greatly reduces the risk for hospitalizations. Uh, now, this has been in the news a lot, that the class not only works for diabetes, lowers blood pressure, uh, is a little bit of a diuretic, but also reduces heart failure risk. Now, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is great. It is a di- it is a, a different type of diuretic. It definitely works in conjunction with other diuretics. You have to be careful about hypovolemia, but it definitely reduces the risk for hospitalization for heart failure. So we're going to listen. So in this, uh, in this supplement that I talked about from the uh, Green Journal, American Journal of Medicine, uh, it, it highlights the uh, four different trials that have shown uh, significant reduction in heart failure hospitalizations. And the craziest part about this data is that in the studies, only 10 to 20% of the patients enrolled in the study actually had a history of heart failure going into it. And yet, even with the small number of people who had heart failure going into the trial, um, the overall... Rates of reduction uh, are actually pretty crazy. Um, so, I mean, we're talking like a relative risk reduction of like 0. 0.65 or 0. 0.75 or 0. 0.67, 0. 3, 0. 0.73. Um. The absolute reductions are not as impressive, but a number needed to treat of 196 for empoglyphosin, for uh 312, and for dapaglifozin 434. So uh, again, not not amazing blockbuster numbers, but if you're using it for diabetic reduction and it's helping uh, diabetic A1C reduction and it's helping keep your patients out of heart failure hospitalizations, I think that's I think that's pretty darn valuable. Um, cardiovascular disease isn't. Um, you know, it isn't awesome numbers, but the protection is definitely there. I think it's important to keep these, um, these studies in mind when we talk about the pros and cons. Uh, but I, I think another benefit, we talked about heart failure, nephropathy. Meta-analysis of three major cardiovascular disease outcome trials uh, showed a reduced progression of nephropathy. Similar to that, you see in ACE inhibitors and and, and ARBs. Uh, you know, there's the Jardians, the Empagliflozin, reduce the risk of developing new or worsening chronic kidney disease by 39%, which is important to think about because half of all patients with type 2 diabetes uh, eventually go on to develop chronic kidney disease. And, uh, you know, even a smaller portion of those need dialysis. So if we're using these drugs and as a diabetic lowering agent, they are also helping to protect our kidneys you know, that's a nice two for one there. So I think that's, uh, again, another amazing and oftentimes overlooked uh, cause or or benefit to these SGLT2 inhibitors is the reduction in chronic kidney disease. Um, Rare, rare, rare cases of four years gangrene, rare cases of bladder cancer, but the data is really suspicious. I'm I'm not impressed. Um, Hypotension acute kidney injury, UTIs, we talked about that a lot. Those are really important to know euglycemic meaning normal glucose dka so anytime a patient is on an sglt2 and they start like vomiting nausea you should always check serum ketones or urine ketones to see if they are in keto- if they are producing a ton of ketones cuz they're in diabetic ketoacidosis again small 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 risk less than 1% um, but something you definitely need to keep an eye on uh, bone fractures uh, weird there, there's probably reduced bone mass with the with the class but but minimal uh, but the proposed mechanism for why there's an increase in bone fractures with canaglifosin, um, absolute risk increase was 0.4%. So again, really, really super tiny. Probably orthostatic hypertension due to decreased volume uh, and then a fall. So I, I think that's probably the mechanism. Um, there is a black box warning or should be black box warning for amputations with canaglifosin. Um, but again, I think it's important to know that they looked at like 8 million patients in the safety panel study, and there was 150 amputations or something like that. So um, the relative risk increase is there compared to uh, placebo. Um, so it's a real thing. Um, so again, if you have a patient with diabetic foot ulcers, maybe not the best choice or, or use with caution. Again, a good RX. the drugs are about $600 a piece, $475 to $450 with coupons. Um, but Anoa Health Plan uh, thank the Lord has 35 dollars copays, co-pays and will bring in the heat woo so we can actually get our patients to be uh, beyond these drugs uh, big fan uh, super excited so uh that's that's uh that's sglt2s in a nutshell um you know there's data there's sorry there's studies that are ongoing right now um let me see the names of these uh, deliver trial daPA HF trial soloist WHF trial Emperor reduced and emperor preserved for Reduced ejection fraction, preserved ejection fraction, heart failure. Uh, um, so, there's a lot more ongoing trials for these. Um, again, important to know that everything we just talked about so far have been industry funded trials, um, and they are small, limited numbers of trials. But, uh, uh, super excited. This is a great class of medicines. I am a generic guy, I only use generics. I don't talk to drug reps. I I really, I really stay away from a lot of the new expensive drugs because I don't think patients want to spend $500 for an A1C reduction of maybe one when we can do it other ways and people can save their hard-earned dollars for actually be able to retire and, 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 and afford the rest of their health care and the rest of their life like groceries. Um, but I think especially if you can get this cheap on copays um on, on your prescription drug plans, I think this is a very super high value uh, drug class in general. So did I miss anything? Uh, Want to talk about anything else with uh, uh, SGLT2 inhibitors? Make sure you hit me up at uh, primarycarepod at gmail.com. Um, I, I wanted to spend two seconds here at the end because I'm a huge nerd uh, talking about the fact that it, it probably reduces heart failure uh, in several different, different mechanisms. I'm not going to read the entire boring garbage that I read at the beginning to, to try and be funny, which probably wasn't funny at all, but I have a bad sense of humor, as you probably all know by now. Um, but So it, it, it decreases preload because you're lowering... Um, you're you're getting off extra fluid. So the preload coming back, you're reducing preload. So you're reducing uh, volume overload status, basically. You are peeing off a ton of sodium, which obviously benefits edema. It obviously benefits heart failure in general to lose a lot of of sodium out of the urine. However, it doesn't necessarily cause hyponatremia, which is another interesting fact of the drug so far. We have not seen any hyponatremia issues. Uh, Obviously, I talked about an osmotic diuresis. There is reductions in total body inflammation, and it probably has to do with the ketogenesis of what the drug does by pulling off excess glucose. It actually uh, produces a lot more uh, ketone bodies uh, for use for cardiac uh, energy production, which I thought was incredibly interesting. Uh, it also has uh, oxidative stress decrease uh, rates. Um Interestingly, it decreases afterload by reducing arterial stiffness, uh, reduces blood pressure and body weight, which also reduce afterload uh, and and overall uh, make heart failure a lot uh, better controlled or a lot easier to control and obviously has renal protective effects, which has benefit in heart failure patients too. So uh, anyways, uh, we are way over time today, but I think SGLT2 is great drug class. I think if you can get them cheap, great. If you can't, don't use them uh, because I don't think anybody wants to spend $450 uh, just to get a 1% reduction in A1C. Although there's obviously, I talked about significant renal protection and the data is really good on the renal protection and the data is really good, or at least decent on the cardiovascular protection, the heart failure protection. So use, uh, use the drug, go forth, uh, use this drug. If you can afford it, uh, use it, knowing that you got to look out for some things that we've talked about, uvolemia, hypo, uh, hypo, uh, volemia, uh, bladder infections, mycotic infections in the general urinary system. Uh, watch out for four years, obviously foreign years, gangrene, uh, watch out for, um, amputations, watch out for, uh, a ton of those other things, we talked about uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, uh, bone fractures, etc. Uh, and, uh, but again, uh, no hypovolemia, or sorry, no um, hypoglycemic issues, you get weight loss, you get blood pressure reduction, you get kidney protection, you get heart failure reduction uh, in general, super good drug class. Uh, and so go forth and use it if you can. So how'd we do today? Enjoy what you're listening to? Any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles, please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want to that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. Please check the episode details for links for free CME. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.